0: Hey there. Before we start tonight's episode, I just want to ask you a question. Are you enjoying this podcast? Does this podcast help you sleep? I hope it does. If so, will you go on to whatever platform you listen to this podcast on and leave us a review? It can be any star review. We just like your review, especially if you are on Stitcher, Spotify, or Apple. Those would help us out a ton. I appreciate you listening to this podcast. Now let's get to tonight's episode. This is Swipe Right for Sleep with Adriana. their dreamer and welcome to another episode of swipe right for sleep the podcast that helps you fall asleep welcome to another week where I can help you fall asleep for those that are coming onto this podcast that are just starting we have been reading a study in scarlet by sir arthur conan doyle tonight we will be in chapter five but before we get going, let me recap what happened last time. In the last chapter, we got to hear the side of John Rance and what he saw at the Lauriston Gardens, where he saw a dead body when he walked in, and now Sherlock and Watson are trying to solve the mystery about what happened. This week, we are in Chapter 5, which is titled, Our advertisement brings a visitor. So before we get going, let's get ready for bed. Make sure you have on some comfortable pajamas or whatever you like to sleep in or not sleep in. Make sure the room is at a comfortable temperature. Are you lying down? Are you in a safe place? Now close your eyes and take a few deep breaths And now, on to our chapter. Our morning exertions had been too much for my weak health, and I was tired out in the afternoon. After Holmes' departure for the concert, I laid down upon the sofa and endeavored to get a couple of hours' sleep. It was a useless attempt. My mind had been too much excited by all that had occurred, and the strangest fancies and surmises crowded into it. Every time that I closed my eyes, I saw before me the distorted baboon-like countenance of the murdered man. So sinister was the impression which that face had produced upon me, that I found it difficult to feel anything but gratitude for him who had removed its owner from the world. If ever human features bespoke vice of the most malignant type, they were certainly those of Enoch J. Drebber of Cleveland. Still, I recognized that justice must be done, and that the depravity of the victim was no condonement in the eyes of the law. The more I thought of it, the more extraordinary did my companion's hypothesis, that the man had been poisoned appear. I remember how he had sniffed his lips and had no doubt that he had detected something which had given rise to the idea. Then again, if not poison, what had caused the man's death? since there was neither wound nor marks of strangulation. But, on the other hand, whose blood was that which lay so thickly upon the floor? There were no signs of a struggle, nor had the victim any weapon with which he might have wounded an antagonist. As long as all these questions were unsolved, I felt that sleep would be no easy matter, either for Holmes or myself. His quiet, self-confident matter convinced me that he had already formed a theory which explained all the facts, though what it was I could not for an instant conjecture. He was very late in returning, so late that I knew that the concert could not have detained him all that time. Dinner was on the table before he appeared. It was magnificent, he said, as he took his seat. Do you remember what Darwin says about music? He claims that the power of producing and appreciating it existed among the human race long before the power of speech arrived at. Perhaps that is why we are so subtly influenced by it. There are vague memories in our souls of those misty centuries when the world was in its childhood." That's a rather broad idea, I remarked. One's ideas must be as broad as nature if they are to interpret nature, he answered. What's the matter? You're not looking quite yourself. This Brixton Road affair has upset you. To tell you the truth, it has, I said. I ought to be more case-hardened after my Afghan experiences. I saw my own comrades hacked to pieces at Maywand without losing my nerve. I can understand. There is a mystery about this which stimulates the imagination. Where there is no imagination, there is no horror. Have you seen the evening paper?" No, It gives a fairly good account of the affair. It does not mention the fact that when the man was raised up, a woman's wedding ring fell upon the floor. It is just as well it does not. Why? Look at this advertisement, he answered. I had once sent to every paper this morning immediately after the affair. He threw that paper across to me, and I glanced at the place indicated. It was the first announcement in the found column in Brixton Road this morning. It ran, a plain gold wedding ring, found in the roadway between the White Hart Tavern and Holland Grove, apply Dr. Watson 221 b Baker Street, between 8 and 9 this evening excuse my using your name he said if i used my own some of these dunderheads would recognize it and want to meddle in the affair that is all right i answered but supposing anyone applies i have no ring oh yes you have he said handing me one this will do very well it is almost a facsimile and who do you expect will answer this advertisement why the man in the brown coat our florid friend with the square toes. If he does not come himself, he will send an accomplice. Would he not consider it as too dangerous? Not at all. If my view of the case is correct, and I have every reason to believe that it is, this man would rather risk anything than lose the ring. According to my notion, he dropped it while stooping over Drubber's body, and did not miss it at the time. After leaving the house, he discovered his loss and hurried back, but found the police already in possession, owing to his own folly in leaving the candle burning. He had to pretend to be drunk in order to allay the suspicions, which might have been aroused by his appearance at the gate. Now, put yourself in that man's place. On thinking the matter over, it must have occurred to him that it was possible that he had lost the ring in the road after leaving the house. What would he do then? He would eagerly look out for the evening papers in the hopes of seeing it among the articles found. His eye, of course, would light upon this. He would be overjoyed. Why should he fear a trap? There would be no reason in his eyes why the finding of this ring could be connected with the murder. He would come. He will still come. You shall see him within an hour. And then, I asked, Oh, you can leave me to deal with him then. Have you any arms? I have my old service revolver and a few cartridges. You had better clean it and load it. He will be a desperate man, and though I shall take him unawares, it is as well to be ready for anything. I went to my bedroom and followed his advice. When I returned with the pistol, the table had been cleared, and Holmes was engaged in his favorite occupation of scraping upon his violin. The plot thickens, he said, as I entered. I have just had an answer to my American telegram. My view of the case is the correct one. And that is? I asked eagerly. My fiddle would be the better for new strings, he remarked. Put your pistol in your pocket. When the fellow comes, speak to him in an ordinary way. Leave the rest to me. Don't frighten him by looking at him too hard. It's eight o'clock now, I said, glancing at my watch. "Yes." He will probably be here in a few minutes. Open the door slightly. That will do. Now put the key on the inside. Thank you. This is a queer old book I picked up about a stall yesterday. De Inter Intergentes. Published in Latin and Liege in the Lowlands in 1642. Charles's head was still firm on his shoulders when this little brown-backed volume was struck off. Who was the printer? Philippe de Croix. Whoever he may have been, on the flyleaf, in very faded ink, is written Ex Libris Guglielmi White. I wonder who William White was? Some pragmatical 17th century lawyer, I suppose. His writing has a legal twist about it. Here comes our man, I think. As he spoke, there was a sharp ring at the bell. Sherlock Holmes rose softly and moved his chair in the direction of the door. We heard the servant pass along the hall and the sharp click of the latch as he opened it. "'Does Dr. Watson live here?' asked a clear but rather harsh voice. We could not hear the servant's reply, but the door closed and someone began to ascend the stairs. The footfall was an uncertain and shuffling one. A look of surprise passed over the face of my companion as he listened to it. It came slowly along the passage, and there was a feeble tap at the door. "'Come in!' I cried. At my summons, instead of the man of violence whom we expected, a very old and wrinkled woman hobbled into the apartment. She appeared to be dazzled by the sudden blaze of light, and after dropping a curtsy, she stood blinking at us with her blared eyes and fumbling in her pocket with nervous, shaky fingers. I glanced at my companion, and his face had assumed such a disconsolate expression that it was all I could do to keep my countenance. The old crone drew out an evening paper and pointed at her advertisement. "'It's this as has brought me, good gentleman,' she said, dropping another curtsey. "'a gold wedding ring in the Brixton Road. "'It belongs to my girl Sally, as was married only this time twelve months, "'which her husband is steward aboard a union boat, "'and what he'd say if he come, om um, and found her without her ring "'is more than I can think.' He has been short enough at the best of times, but before especially when he has the drink. If it pleases you, she went to the circus last night along with. Is that her ring? I asked. The Lord be thanked! cried the old woman. Sally will be gla- Sally will be a glad woman this night. That's the ring! And what may your address be? I inquired, taking up a pencil. 13 Duncan Street, Houndstitch a weary way from here. The Brixton Road does not lie between any circus and Houndsditch," said Sherlock Holmes sharply. The old woman faced round and looked keenly at him from her little red-rimmed eyes. The gentleman asked me for my address, she said. Sally lives in lodgings at 3 Mayfield Place Peckman. And your name is? My name is Sawyer. Hers is Dennis, which Tom Dennis married her, and a smart... Clean lad, too, as long as he's at sea, and no steward in the company more thought of. But when on shore, what with the woman, and what with liquor shops? Here's your ring, Mrs. Sawyer, I interrupted, in obedience to a sign from my companion. It clearly belongs to your daughter, and I am glad to be able to restore it to the rightful owner. With many mumbled blessings and protestations of gratitude, the old crone packed it away in her pocket and shuffled off down the stairs. Sherlock Holmes sprang to his feet the moment that she was gone and rushed into his room. He returned in a few seconds, enveloped in an ulster and a cravat. "'I'll follow her,' he said hurriedly. She must be an accomplice and will lead me to him. Wait up for me.' The hall door had hardly slammed behind our visitor before Holmes had descended the stair. Looking through the window, I could see her walking feebly along the other side, while her pursuer dogged her some little distance behind. Either his whole theory is incorrect, I thought to myself, or else he will be led now to the heart of the mystery. There was no need for him to ask me to wait up for him, for I felt that sleep was impossible until I heard the result of the adventure. It was close upon nine when he set out. I had no idea how long he might be out, but I sat stolidly puffing at my pipe and skipping over the pages of Henry Merger's *The de Boheme. Ten o'clock passed, and I heard the footsteps of the maid as they pattered off to bed. Eleven, and the more stately tread of the landlady passed my door. Bound for the same destination, it was close upon twelve before I heard the sharp sound of his latch key. The instant he entered, I saw by his face that he had not been successful. Amusement and chagrin seemed to be struggling for the mystery, until the former suddenly carried the day, and he burst into a hearty laugh. (laughs) I wouldn't have the Scotland Yarders know it for the world," he cried, dropping into his chair. I have chafed them so much that they would never have let me hear the end of it. I can afford to laugh, because I know that I will be even with them in the long run. What is it, then? I asked. Oh, I don't mind telling a story against myself. That creature had gone a little way when she began to limp and show every sign of being foot sore Presently, she came to a halt and hailed a four-wheeler, which was passing. I managed to be close to her so as to hear the address, but I need not have been so anxious, for she sang it out loud enough to be heard at the other side of the street. Drive to 13 Duncan Street Hound's Ditch, she cried. This begins to look genuine, I thought, and having seen her safely inside, I perched myself behind. That's an art which every detective should be an expert at. Well, away we rattled and never drew rein until we reached the street in question. I hopped off before we came to the door and strolled down the street in an easy lounging way. I saw the cab pull up, the driver jumped down, and I saw him open the door and stand expectantly. Nothing came out, though. When I reached him, he was groping about frantically in the empty cab and giving vent to the finest assorted collection of oaths that ever I listened to. There was no sign or trace of the passenger, and I felt it with some time before he gets his fare. On inquiring at number 13, we found the house belonged to a respectable paper hanger named Keswick, and that no one of the name either of Sawyer or Dennis had ever been there. You don't mean to say, I cried in amazement, that the tottering, feeble old woman was eager to get out of the cab while it was in motion, without either you or the driver seeing her? Old woman be damned, said Sherlock Holmes sharply. We were the old women to be so taken in. It must have been a young man, an active one, too. Besides being an incomparable actor, the get-up was inimitable. He saw that he was followed, no doubt, and used this means of giving me the slip. It showed that the man we are after is not as lonely as I imagined he was, but has friends who are ready to risk something for him. Now, doctor, you are looking done up. Take my advice and turn in." I was certainly feeling very weary, so I obeyed his injunction. I left home seated in front of the smoldering fire, and long into the watches of the night I heard the low, melancholy wailings of his violin, and knew that he was still pondering over the strange problem which he had set himself to unravel. Hey there, dreamer, are you still awake? That's totally okay. But while I have you, are you following our social media accounts? If not, you should. Because I will start posting things more on there for contests and information about our Patreon and other little tidbits. And if you don't know what those are, we have a Twitter account, which is at swipe4sleep, and the 4 is the number 4. We have our Facebook, which is Swipe Right for Sleep Podcast with Adriana, and we have our Instagram, which is Swipe Right for Sleep Podcast. You can also follow our website, which is www.swiperightforsleep.com. It's where I will post blog posts or articles or any interesting spotlights that we do on our authors, and you can check on that website for that information. Thank you again for listening and I hope that you have a great night's sleep.